The world tells us to assert ourselves, to believe in ourselves, to claim our territory, to take control of our own destiny. We're wired and encouraged to be assertive, to speak first and think second. We lash out all too quickly in anger. But James says, put all that aside. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and uh, Jonathan, I think many of us uh, probably are wired in such a way that we do want to respond quickly. We do want to lash out in anger when you know we come up against something that rubs us the wrong way. For the person who says, well, Jonathan, that, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. What would you say to them? Well, I think this is something from our world and our culture and from our own sinful nature that we really need to unlearn, and it's hard to unlearn it, especially since, you know, our world actually tends to respect those who are quick to speak and who are um, inclined to be self-assertive. You know, that can be seen as a, a leadership strength in some ways, and and those who do that effectively and get their own way can be revered in a certain sense in our culture. And and so we do need to unlearn this. How we unlearn it, well, I think there it's, it's a twofold thing, as with anything in the Christian life. We need to hear from the Word of God what we ought to do, and that's why we're going to spend some time in James thinking about this. And then we desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit to transform us, because even while I know what I ought to do on my own, I can't do it. But for those who belong to Christ, God gives His Spirit to help us to put some of these biblical principles into action. And so we need both. We need Word and Spirit. Well, let's look at that from the book of James. Chapter 1 is where we're at, looking at verses 19 to 21. We're continuing a message called, Quick to Hear, Slow to Speak. Here is Jonathan. You look at verse 19, and it's so simple. It is in some ways so obvious. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Simple, intuitive, obviously right, and yet how slow. How slow we are to learn this. How reluctant we are to live it. Now, that is our practical response to trial and to temptation. That's what James calls us to do. But next, we ask the simple question, why should we do it? Why should we respond in this particular way? After all, we like to give vent to our feelings through our words. A part of us really wants to express our anger. There's something about it that can feel good. We often feel that we have something that, you know, really needs to be said. Why this restraint? Verse 20, here's why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think we often kid ourselves that when we express our anger, when we give vent to our feelings, we kid ourselves in the moment into thinking that we are actually accomplishing something. We are achieving something that is fruitful. You know, this wrong, it it needs to be put right. This person just needs to know how out of line they are, and I need need to be the one to tell them. Somehow it's going to make things better if I just spill it all out. You know, the world needs to know how much I'm hurting. If I, if I give those people a piece of my mind, well, I, I, the situation will be rectified. If I just vent, I'm going to feel a whole lot better. But once we've done that, once we've spoken, once our anger has been vented, and then we look out on the wreckage of what we've done, we realize pretty quickly this hasn't been productive at all. Nothing good has come of this. Nothing ever can. There's only been damage. And, you know, sometimes the grief and the loss and the relational wreckage that results from our word of response, it's actually worse than the original problem, than the original trial, the original grief. Have you ever found that? It's a pretty painful thing to recognize, but it's exactly what happens. 
James wants to remind us that the anger of man, our anger, it isn't productive. It isn't fruitful in God's economy and in God's purposes for us. In particular, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The Bible can use the word righteousness in a couple of different ways, both related but not identical, not the same. Sometimes the Bible will use the word righteous to speak of our righteous standing, being right with God as a believer. And that, that's something, our righteous standing, it is something we receive by faith as a gift. We can't earn it. We can't contribute to it in any way. We cannot achieve it. It is what Jesus offers us in the gospel through his death in our place as a gift of grace to be received by faith. That's righteous standing. The other way the Bible uses the word righteousness is to speak of a type of behavior. You and I are called to live righteously. We can only do that as a people who have been made righteous by Jesus and helped by his spirit who lives within, but God calls us to live in a righteous way. And it's that second idea that James has in mind here in our passage. God has made us righteous in Jesus if we belong to him, and he has done that in order that we will live righteously, in order that we will live as a righteous people ought to live. And so here in verse 20, James is saying quite simply that venting our anger, spewing out words without thought, it will not help us to be the people God has called us to be. It's not going to help us to live in the way that God has called us to live. It's out of step with who we are, out of step with the purposes of God for us. Now, that's, if you like, the negative side of James's logic here. That's the reason why we should not express our anger but there is also a positive side to why we should do what James has called us to do, a reason that we should be quick to hear. Notice it with me, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You and I, we're bombarded each and every day with invitations to listen Advertisers on radio and TV want us to hear them out. They have a product, they have a service to sell, and they want us to know what it's going to do for us. Millions of dollars change hands each and every day between the people who have a message that they want to get out and then the online titans of the digital world who own the advertising space on our search engines and social media platforms. There's a huge industry, isn't there, constantly at work devising how a message, a video, a podcast can be put before us, capture our attention, and get us to listen. And then we, we, we see the messages, don't we? Click here, give me 30 seconds and I'm going to change your life. I see something like that most days, I think. That's the invitation. That's the plea stated one way or another. We hear it every day. James knows that the word of God has the power not simply to change our lives, to improve our lives, but to save our lives, to save our very soul. Now, at this point, we might want to ask why it is that James is talking about the ability of the word to save us. Surely, if we are Christian believers, we have already been saved by the word of God through the gospel. I mean, that's right, isn't it? If we're followers of Christ, we have been saved. And so we, we might well wonder, you know, maybe James is thinking that the people to whom he's written this letter, they're not saved yet. Maybe they're not Christians. Maybe that's the answer. But actually, as we, we look carefully at the text, we realize that doesn't make much sense of the passage nor of the wider letter. 
Notice the word has already been implanted in their heart, he says. He calls these people, verse 19, his beloved brothers. He's actually called them brothers before in verse 16. He's going to call them so again in chapter 2 at the start of the chapter. Now, these are believers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. They've already been saved, already been forgiven, already accepted by Jesus. But here is the insight that James points us to. Our salvation has different tenses to it, different stages to it. You see, the Christian living here on earth is a person who has already been saved, who is currently being saved, and who will one day be saved. Now, that's not to say that any stage or phase of our salvation involves insecurity, that at any point, if we are a believer, we are not secure in Christ. No, if we have come to him in repentance and faith, he will keep us. That's the promise of his word. It's a sure, it's a certain thing. Believers are secure in Christ. But it is nonetheless true that the New Testament can speak of different stages in our salvation. We've trusted in Jesus. Our sins were paid for at Calvary. On the day we turned to him in repentance and faith, we were forgiven. We were welcomed into his family. We were saved. At the present time, as we walk with Jesus by his spirit, he is saving us from this present world. He's holding us. He's keeping us. He is saving us. That's why Paul can say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 2 that they are being saved by the word that they once heard and received. Let me just read this for us. Actually, it's very interesting, and it illustrates the principle, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you. We are those who are presently being saved if we belong to Jesus. And finally, on a day to come when the Lord judges the world, we will be saved from the wrath to come if we belong to Christ. Salvation is past, present, future, comprehensively so. And at every point, it is the word of God, it is the gospel message that brings salvation. How is it that you and I first come to salvation? It is as we receive the word, the good news. And how is it that Jesus continues to keep for salvation those who belong to him, those he has purchased by his blood? How is it that he keeps us from being swallowed up by this sinful and dying world in which we live? Is it not by his gracious word that he implants in our heart and puts in our hands the gospel of salvation, the gospel word? And how is it that we are saved in the end? Again, it's it's the word of God, isn't it? On that final day, our only hope before God the judge will be the gospel. We have no other plea. We don't have anything else to offer God the judge, but we have the saving word, the word about Jesus, his perfect life, his sin-bearing death, his death-defeating resurrection. And that is our defense. It is our only plea. This is the saving word. This is the gospel of our salvation. I don't know if you're someone who is good at talking your way into places or positions or situations. Some just have that gift. 
you know, they walk into a job interview with no relevant qualifications of any kind, but they walk out of that interview with a brand new job. <laughs> they walk into a busy restaurant, a fully booked restaurant on a Friday night with no reservation, and they find themselves seated at a nice table. They walk into a room full of strangers and soon find themselves among friends, the center of attention, the life and soul of the party. Some just have the gift. But friend, whether or not we have the gift, we don't talk our way into heaven. We never could do. We don't charm our way in or argue our way in with our words. We never could do that. No, we are admitted on the basis of a message that we hear and believe and receive, not on the basis of a message that we concoct ourselves. And so knowing that, understanding the very nature of salvation, our posture as a saved people is that of a people who hear, who listen, who receive before we speak. What should we do when we face pressure, testing, trial? James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why should we do that? We should do that, friends, because our aim is righteousness and salvation. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Quick to Hear and Slow to Speak. It's part of our study of the book of James and a series called Doers of the Word. And we're going to pause here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. You know, if you ever miss a broadcast or you want to go back and listen to one again, you can do that at our website. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org and you can stream the program. You can also download an MP3 for free. Another thing I'd encourage you to check out is our weekly e-devotional. When you're at EncounterTheTruth.org, check out Moment of Truth. You're going to find some great encouragement from Jonathan there. And if you're on the go, in addition to being able to pull up the program through your computer or mobile device, you can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. That is free, and you're going to find that at your app store. Simply look for Encounter the Truth. But whether you listen to this program on the radio, online, or through the app, it is all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. As you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has written called The Ministry Medical. It is a health checkup from 2 Timothy. Our thank you gift to you for your support. Give online or find out more at EncounterTheTruth.org. Or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. What should we do when we face pressure, testing, trial? James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why should we do that? We should do that, friends, because our aim is righteousness and salvation. Finally, how should we do it? Notice again verse 21 with me. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. You know, the world around us likes to say that those who push hardest get ahead, that those with the sharpest elbows and the most aggressive posture come out on top in the end. The world tells us to assert ourselves, to believe in ourselves, to claim our territory, to take control of our own Destiny, we're wired and encouraged and educated to be assertive, to speak first and think second. We lash out all too quickly in anger. But James says, put all that aside. The filthiness and rampant wickedness of a tongue that is laced with venom and armed with barbs, a tongue that destroys, put it aside. 
That's an active thing, by the way. That is a spirit-enabled decision each and every time. You know, I, like, I, know, I know what my sinful nature would like me to do. We talked about the process of temptation last time. It's very interesting. We know what the flesh, the sinful nature would like me to say, how it would have me verbally destroy the person who has caused me harm or is just in my line of fire when I'm having a bad day. The ammunition is loaded. The anger is rising. I'm ready. But no. No, by the help of the Spirit, put all that aside, says James. Cry out to the Lord and for help in the moment of temptation. Instead, take the posture of the people of God, the posture of those who know they don't know best, who know that salvation comes through a message that we receive with open ears. And in humility, by the grace of God, through the strength of the Spirit, be those who listen, those who Receive that word that has come to you and has taken root in your heart, the word that brings salvation. That's the posture of the people of God. That is the spirit of a child of God. But friends, let's just drive down a little bit further here. What does it really look like to do this in practical terms, to receive with meekness the implanted word? I think it's right to say that there is a meekness that is required and a meekness that is involved if we are to make space and time in our lives to hear God's word personally and privately. To, to say at the beginning of each day, yes, there are lots of things that I need to do today. There are lots of words maybe that I need to speak, lots of emails to write, lots of calls to make, conversations to have. But you know, the first thing I need to do, I recognize this, the first thing I need to do is to listen to listen to the voice of God. I, I need to sit quietly. This is what I need. I, I need to sit quietly and open his word because he, he knows best and I, I, I don't know best. Because he knows what's coming today and I don't know what's coming. I need to do that because his word is the saving word and I cannot save myself. It's a meek thing, friends. It is a humble thing simply to read your Bible in the morning. It's a meek thing to sit under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, too. There's something about gathering as a congregation, as we are now, and deciding. We're, we're going to be quiet for this hour, and we're going to listen. We're going to listen to the Word of God. We're going to listen to God's own voice through the Scriptures. We're not, we're not going to converse. This isn't going to be a debating chamber for the Sunday morning hour. This isn't going to be a discussion time. We're just going to listen, and we're going to do that each week and make it a part of the rhythm of our lives. There is a meekness in that. It's a meek thing to hear and to receive the word of God when brothers and sisters speak it to you personally. Maybe this requires the most meekness of all, actually, as I reflect on it. It's especially true in times of sin and stumbling, of failure and of falling. You've gone off the rails in some way. You're living in a way that is out of sync with the design of God You've lost your temper and you spoke some really wounding words. You've shown a lack of self-control in some way. Your witness at work has deteriorated. You're compromised in some way and it's become evident to others. And a brother or a sister has seen this, has noticed, comes alongside you and reminds you graciously and kindly of what God's word says, reminds you of some truths that you actually need to hear. And you could respond to that with a filthy tirade in a way that looks like the rampant wickedness of which James speaks in the first half of verse 21, but by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, you put that aside, 
And there is a meekness that is needed now to quietly listen and hear what you need to hear, to prayerfully process, to accept the word. Trials come. Pressure mounts. Temptation is before us, friends. What do we do? Our sinful nature will prompt us to react with angry words, self-defensive words, destructive words, barbed words, words of complaint, words of grumbling. But what ought we to do? James tells us simply, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why should we do it? It runs contrary to our instincts. We should do it because God's plan for our lives is that we should grow in righteousness. And we're going to grow a lot more quickly and much more by listening to his word than by speaking out the folly of our own hearts. We, we should listen because salvation is found in God's word and nowhere else. Well, how should we do this? With meekness. With the meekness that only the spirit of God can enable in the human heart. Friends, I don't know where or how this simple encouragement, this simple admonition touches your heart and speaks into your life, but I'm confident it does for each one of us here. Perhaps there's some repentance that's needed, actually. You hear the word of God this morning, and repentance is needed. Perhaps a deep change of attitude and outlook, a crying out to the Lord that he might enable you to slow down your words and sharpen your listening. Maybe there is a need, and you're just aware of this right now, Maybe there's a need, actually, you've got to go to a brother or sister and ask for forgiveness, make things right because of some words that you've spoken, some words spoken in haste, some words spoken in anger. As we close, though, I want to speak especially to those who haven't yet personally received this saving word of Jesus Christ. That final line of verse 21 is the line that strikes you, that's jumping off the page at you right now. It's the word you know you need to consider, the implanted word of Jesus. It is the word, says James, that is able to save your souls. Salvation from sin. Salvation from the judgment to come. We receive it not by modifying our behavior, not by being a little bit better than we were, but by receiving a message from outside, an external message, a divine message. The message that Jesus died in our place, that he offers us cleansing, that he gives us new life, if we will but receive it, turning to him in repentance and in faith, accepting his word. I wonder, are you ready to do that even today? It may be that the Lord has been working on your heart for some time, and he has you here this morning because you needed to hear this and receive this invitation, and you sense that now. Perhaps you feel the challenge of what James has been saying about words, your words, you know it, they're often angry. James's description of filthiness and rampant wickedness, it, that hits really hard. That's uncomfortable to hear because you know those words describe your words, too much of your speech, too much of your attitude, too much of your life. And friend, if that is you, and it may be a number, let me ask you, would you receive by faith the gospel word, the saving word, the word that can save your soul, as James tells us? It takes a meekness to do that, a humility that says, oh, I, I can't save myself. My, I'm a mess, and I need something radical, something external, something divine, because I can't deal with all this myself. I need the Lord to save me. It takes a meekness. But what is at stake, says James, is nothing less than the salvation of your soul. And so the stakes couldn't be higher.
This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths as he wraps up our message, Quick to Hear and Slow to Speak, taking a look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21 today. And if you missed any part of today's broadcast or the previous broadcast, which was the first half of this message, I'd encourage you to come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is able to be on this station because you give and you support this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has written. It's called The Ministry Medical, and it's taken from the book of 2 Timothy. Jonathan, why did you write this book? Well, I wrote this book really sensing that the lessons that are found in 2 Timothy about the nature of Christian ministry and Christian leadership are lessons that we really need today. Those who are in any kind of Christian leadership, any form of Bible teaching ministry, I personally found a deep dive study in 2 Timothy to be so helpful to me in my ministry. And I wanted to share really some of the uh, gleanings and the observations that the Lord had given me through that study. So that, that was the purpose of the book. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, The Ministry Medical, A Health Check from 2 Timothy. It's our way of saying thank you for your financial support. To give a gift online, come visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH, or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Bretta and our Bible teacher Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.